Well, high in the barren desert hills, stretching from the Yakima to the Columbia Rivers in central Washington state, is an enormous tract of land <clears throat> which is reserved for the United States military uh, and known locally as the Yakima Firing Range where soldiers from, from all over the country and even other places um, come from time to time to practice uh, various military exercises. It wouldn't be unusual driving um, through this one road that passes through to see these, these sort of camouflage tents and tanks and all sorts of things. But usually they were deep away in the, in the desert area. But I had a friend in the army who... Um, who worked there as a supply sergeant and visiting one time in the base uh, and I, I recalled seeing a sign posted on the wall of the procurement officer where the incoming soldiers went to get their clothing and supplies that they needed. And the sign read, In God we trust, all others sign a hand receipt. Uh, I, I mention that because I want to turn your attention this morning uh, to the account of the temptation of our Lord found in the Gospel of Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 4. When we get to Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 4, when we get to, uh, to Luke, um, we are now um, at the place where Jesus has been baptized and um, and is filled with a special anointing of the Holy Spirit as he prepares for his most difficult um, and glorious ministry. But, but what happens? He is driven uh, by the Holy Spirit to be tested and tempted in the wilderness. Now that's the first thing that our Lord experiences in his work as, as the Messiah. Because Jesus, are you listening to this? Jesus had to live a life of faith and trust, just as you and I do. Your own sin and Satan will tempt you to live um, a, a dumb and faithless life, uh, even seeking to disqualify and defraud you from the kingdom of God. Just as he tried to defraud and, and to disqualify the Lord Jesus, as we'll see here in the text uh, before us. Um, there are three temptations, and so we'll look at them one at a time. Beginning with uh, the first four verses, verses of Luke uh, chapter 4. Um, in the first temptation, uh, Jesus has been... Uh, Fasting. Let's read of this um, in verses 1 to 4. And Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. 
So here we have our Lord saying yes to a life of faith and no to a life of self-gratification. Now, he was fasting and praying to the Father in preparation for his arduous messianic chore that he's about to embark upon. And who should be there? Who should be there with him in the midst of his weakness and struggle and fasting? But the devil himself, the tempter. Not to test him or strengthen him, but to destroy him, to destroy his ministry, to defraud the Trinity the very purpose and prize of all their work, the salvation of God's chosen people. So the devil says to him, uh, if you're the son of God, uh, command this stone uh, to become bread. So the devil, you see, is taking crass advantage of Jesus, who must have been very hungry. Look, don't you know that your greatest temptations and struggles will occur at your lowest point, at your weakest place, at your worst moment, when you're sick and you're tired and you're discouraged and you don't need to come, someone kick you. But that's exactly what the devil does. In this temptation, Jesus is this moment of need and weakness and the devil appears to to shatter his confidence in the Father, to, and get him to precipitously break the fast and to selfishly serve himself. Look, Jesus, you are so hungry. Why don't you do a little miracle and turn some of these rocks into bread? You're the, you are the Son of God, aren't you? Um, do as you please. It's been a hard fast. Indulge yourself a little, all that praying. It wouldn't be very good to die of hunger out here in the desert. Can't do the work of Messiah in an empty stomach after all. In fact, Jesus, it looks to me like maybe God has forgotten all about you. I think he's forgotten. You need to look after number one, maybe. Numero uno. Now, I'm just imagining this dialogue in my head. But the basic theme that's suggested to us in this first incident of temptation of self-trust and self-gratification, which is a very great temptation for every one of us. There is tremendous pressure upon you and I to continually seek to satisfy ourselves, our needs. And sometimes it's sort of a fuzzy line between, between needs and wants, isn't it? What do I really need after all? I mean, many people, the vast, vast majority of people in the world get along with the slightest fraction of what you and I have. But we do live in this culture um, and a country that is economically driven and um, economically dependent upon rampant consumerism. Our our ears and our eyes are almost being continuously bombarded with images and, and messages of 75-foot flashing billboards. They, they don't just... Now they, 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 you know, you see them, they're digital and they change. Um, 
and, uh, and, and there's signs along uh, in shops on all the roads. And, and we listen to endless ads on radio and television. And, and the ones that gratuitously appear on the magazine that you paid for and subscribed to. Or the junk mail that appears in your home every day. Or the telemarketers who, uh, who call you endlessly on your private cell phone. Or, or the spam, the pop-ups that come up on your computer screen. And, and so you decide, well, I'll escape to the shore. And you're out on the beach and you're, and you're looking out over the North Atlantic Ocean thinking, oh, I'm safe here. But, but what comes into view but one of these airplanes, you know, dragging uh, a, an, a, a, an advertisement, another message uh, for a, 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 a massage or, or steak dinners and cocktails and Lord knows what else. Um, you see, all, all this feeds uh, our never satiated desire for self-gratification. You deserve it. You need it. It's not asking too much. In fact, it's a constitutional birthright of every American, isn't it? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The American dream is a personal peace today. It's personal peace, self-fulfillment, and leisure. Ask uh, a university or college student what their goal is in life and don't be surprised if they're talking about retiring at age 30 or, or 35 uh, so they can live a life of, of pleasure and, and play around for the next 40 years of life. But Jesus points us in an entirely different direction. Altogether, our Lord is pointing us away from ourselves and even away from this world to a degree. Uh, he responds to the devil by quoting from the scriptures. The Old Testament uh, text is Deuteronomy 8.3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, our Lord is not denying the necessity of daily bread. We're told, give us this day to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. But, but faithless self-gratification demands a whole lot more than daily bread. Get it through our fat heads, Lord. Jesus did not come as the Savior to secure my rights and my happiness. He came to glorify himself by saving me from my selfishness and securing my eternal place in heaven. In fact, uh, it, it, it's holiness that God longs to see in our lives, not so much happiness. Remember, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's talking about mourning for your sin. He's talking about desiring uh, spiritual things. He says, blessed are, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those uh, when people, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That doesn't sound to me like some sort of prosperity gospel. You know, God wants you to have the best, wear the best, um, drive the best, and live the best. The Beatitudes given by our Lord 
do not sound very self-indulgent. They sound more like self-sacrifice, like a demanding life of faith. It sounds like trusting Christ. It sounds also ironically like blessing. Like blessing. I think Jesus wants to bless us in ways we cannot easily comprehend. He calls on us to, to give more thought to our souls and less to our bodies, more, more concern for spiritual things and less for creature comforts, more concern for others and not for ourselves. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, these are his words, let him take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life or lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Continuously, Jesus himself, Jesus God, subordinated his own human desires, his own will, and his own pleasures and comforts uh, for the will and pleasure of his Father to please the Lord God. At Gethsemane, uh, Jesus cries out, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Well, that's a good prayer for the temptations of self-gratification, along with uh, making ourselves a servant and putting others before ourselves. It isn't, it isn't easy to say no to self-gratification, but it isn't dull, it isn't grim. Uh, uh, serving Christ and others, in fact, it's curiously liberating and joyful and fulfilling. It's what God intended for us. And he was the one who created us. Let's go back to the text, looking at verses 5 to 8. Verses 5 to 8. <clears throat> and the devil took him, uh, took him up, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority. And their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Well, here's the second temptation saying no to the temptation of compromise saying no to the temptation of, of compromise. In this temptation, uh, Luke describes um, Jesus being taken uh, by the devil uh, to a high place and showing him in an instant, in a moment of time, uh, through some supernatural manner, which he was capable of inducing, um, he shows Jesus in one flash all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And he says to him, I'll give it all to you uh, if you will simply turn away and, and worship me. Now, <clears throat> if that sounds a little strange to you, a rebel angel, a created being, turning around and offering the divine creator of all, of, uh, who has all authority, authority and all power and all splendor, in exchange for a little bow, everything, well, that's about as bogus an offer as you'll ever hear. But if there wasn't some temptation to it, some real, if there wasn't something in man's heart 
even in Jesus' human heart, something tempting. Um, if it was so absolutely off the walls to be of no temptation at all, well, why did the devil go to such trouble to offer it? In fact, that illegitimate power and authority that displaces God in our hearts and our lives is a temptation that we're all attracted to. Now, none of us is going to be offered all the kingdoms of this world in all their glory. But we are tempted in smaller ways, in small things, to make compromises to our allegiance and our devotion to the Lord God alone. And again, that's the great issue here. Faithless compromise. There's a great deal of, of, of pressure on us Christians today, as perhaps never before, to, to never even appear uh, in any way to be, to be mean or narrow or prudish or above all intolerant. Um, there's this great uh, pressure for us to compromise uh, with uh, the way it is and the way it's going. Um, and uh, instead of uh, trusting in, in Christ and believing that Jesus is the only Savior from sin. A great compromise to a temptation to equivocate and waffle on what we know perfectly well the Bible teaches us about heaven or hell or family or marriage or sexual responsibility. A compromise is a move uh, of idolatry. It's worshipping men and worshipping the opinions of men uh, rather than God, which is ultimately to deny the faith. If uh, the fear of man, is, or, or if a bigger this, or a newer that, or, or another one of those things is going to distract you or in any way turn your heart and somehow keeping you from putting Christ in his kingdom first, then that's compromise. It could be a compliment paid that you need to quietly dismiss and not take to heart. It could be a new job that would keep you from worship on the Lord's Day. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil will make, will make it sound wise and wonderful. But if it means compromising biblically inform, a biblically informed conscience, well then it's not wise and it's not wonderful. A biblical compromise is a faithless act of betrayal for a Christian, falling, uh, failing to trust God and trust in him and his word and his way. And it never leads to good places for Christians. Jesus answers this second temptation with these words. He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve Another quotation from Scripture, the first commandment. Uh, and that is the answer to idolatrous compromise. Worship God only. Put him first, only first in our lives. Uh, for the devoted, maturing Christian, it's not only a, a matter of, of trusting obedience in God's law. It's a matter of desiring to worship and please the Lord. That's what Jesus wanted to do. It ought to be also your great desire and mine to worship and serve the Lord in all that we say and do. Compromise almost always starts with small things. Things that seem immaterial and unimportant. 
But then when you get past that, it becomes progressively easier to cave into bigger things uh, after that. Um, that's sort of the way compromise works. Um, um, and, uh, and until you're uh, following uh, Christ no longer at all. Um, it, it's sort of like the story of the fisherman who, who put a sign up to advertise um, the sale of his fish that he had caught. It said, fresh fish for sale. But a well-meaning, influential friend objected. You, you don't need the word fresh on that sign. Of course it's fresh. Your reputation proves that. It's an insult to your good name to imply that your, your fish would be anything but fresh. Well, the fisherman didn't want to insult his own good name, after all, so he removed the word fresh from the sign. But then someone else pointed out that the word for sale was completely redundant. Of course it's for sale. For sale was redundant. Of course, everybody could see that, uh, that, that that was for sale. It was an insult to a person's intelligence to point out the very obvious point that this fish was for sale. And not wanting to offend anyone's intelligence, the fisherman removed the word for sale from the sign. But, but then a, another person came along and chided him for the word fish. Why, anyone could see that his lovely uh, f fish was fresh and um, there was fish there. And, so, uh, and he said it was an insult to a, a man's nose to have that word fish on the sign. So the fisherman, not wanting to offend anyone's nose, removed the word fish from the sign as well. But, but of course now he had no sign at all. And pretty soon, no business. That's where compromise took him, step by step by step. Purpose, brothers and sisters, to, to resist the temptation to compromise your faith, even in little ways. Stand firm on the gospel. Stand firm on the commandments. Stand firm on the precious promises of God. The world is not your Savior. And the world is not your Lord. Well, let's look at the third temptation. <clears throat> we'll pick that up. Verses 9 to 13. Luke chapter 4, <clears throat> beginning at verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil uh, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Well, <clears throat> this third temptation um, represents um, the temptation to the quick fix. We like quick fixes. Um, and it's a, a quick fix that a shortcut to glory, uh, an end run around the cross that Jesus is being offered. Uh, the Lord takes him, or rather, excuse me, the devil takes him 
up to, um, to Jerusalem and sets him on what's called the pinnacle, probably the highest point uh, above the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. And he, and he quotes scripture um, that, um, that God would command the angels to guard him and, and, and would, uh, they would bear him up. So, so let's say it's early morning in Jerusalem and the, and the worshippers are beginning to, to gather in the temple precincts and, and, uh, and, and, and if Jesus would just throw himself, dramatically throw himself uh, off from the temple wall so high up, the angels would surely come uh, to rescue him since he's the son of God at all. And, and bring him to a safe landing right there in front of everybody. That would be dramatic. That would be startling. Why? That would, that would bring everyone to their feet. The crowd would go crazy. How could they possibly doubt his messianic claims after that? They would hang on his every word after that. What a great idea. Why didn't Jesus himself think of that? A better plan. It would surely be traipsing around from village to village, day in and day out, endlessly preaching and healing and dealing with people's messy problems and, and putting out those pesky Pharisees. Now, this would be a real event. Surely everyone would believe he was Messiah if he pulled a stunt like that. After all, too, the business of the cross, that was going to be hard, painful. This would be a lot easier have you thought much about the crucifixion, Jesus? You know what's coming, don't you? This would be so much easier. Just jump. Well, you see, you get the idea, a quick fix. And every bit as wicked and every bit as bogus as the other two temptations. For without the cross, there could be no redemption. Without faith and trust in God, there could be no good ending, not for any of us. There was, there was no easy fix for Jesus. There was no way out for him. Just faithful obedience, ministry that would take him willy-nilly to Calvary. And he knew that. And Jesus said, no. He's not about to faithlessly test God and dodge the cross. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to seek of God's grace in all sorts of temptations ourselves. Temptation uh, that would lead us to take the easy way out, the wrong way, to, to put God to the test. It, it's not God who needs the testing, it's you and I. Uh, if you know the right thing to do, you must do it and, and, and not punk out on it. Whether it's a matter of speaking the truth in love uh, to one of your children whose love and approval you covet too greatly, or facing uh, the music and going to confess some sin to someone you've offended, or taking the next hard, unpleasant step in some business you're involved in, or just, just getting up in the morning to love your wife or your husband. If your mind suddenly suggests an easy shortcut, reject it out of hand. You know what to do. Be courageous. Be faithful. Be strong in the Lord. Cast yourself on him in your weakness. But don't take the cheap way out. Don't try an end run to avoid the right thing. There's no crown 
without the cross. Walk in faith. Whatever that means. It may mean something different for each one of you. But you'll have opportunity. And God will give you grace. It's a matter of faith again, isn't it? Trust God and do the right thing. Now, we have a powerful enemy who exploits our every weakness and and tempts us to disobedience uh, when we are least able to resist it in our own strength. And, And we have treacherous, foolish hearts. But we also have uh, a powerful, proven weapon that God has put in our hands. Um, The Holy Scriptures to make us wise to the wiles of the devil and the dark folly of our own hearts. We are not uninformed. We are not fools. Uh, In every temptation recorded here in Luke 4, Jesus answers with uh, Scripture. And he responds in faith. We're required to live by faith. That's the pattern given us by the Lord. But we also have a sympathetic Savior who is personally acquainted with temptations. He knows what it means to say no to self, uh, to self-gratification and to compromise and the quick fix, the way out. He, he knows this. And we have God the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts as believers, and who delights to assist and enable us to say no to sin and yes to faith and to trust in God. It exalts Christ to do that. And the Holy Spirit's all about exalting Christ in your heart. Above all else, we have a Savior who has won against the devil in every temptation and who has conquered sin and death uh, uh, in, in, in his life uh, through his own sacrificial obedience and death. His victory is our victory. Uh, he won the gift of faith and freely gives it to his people every day. So I appeal to you to trust in Christ, to cast yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, it's a perfect time. It's a new year. Trust in the Lord. Commit yourself to him. And discover the power of his grace and his love. We pray now together. Lord God, thank you that you are indeed uh, the Lord who provides all things. We live, uh, Lord, much tempted to self-gratification, much tempted to compromise, much tempted to an easy fix to make our lives easier uh, when, Lord, It's just taking us in the wrong way. We pray your Holy Spirit to help us. We have no strength, Lord. We we will turn the wrong way, even as believers, so easily. But we know that you are the victorious Father, the victorious Son, the victorious Spirit, and you will give us all good things. Bless your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.